In the spirit of variant rules, what is one general rule, social norm, or expectation in life that needs to change immediately? If you mention pants, we're going to fight. <laughs> oh, no. It's, it's, it's the social norm? 40-hour work week. Yeah. Fuck that noise. They do 35 in France, I'm quite sure. Y you know what? It's a four-day work week uh, in Sweden. How about I, I work until my job is done, and if I do more, you pay me better and promote me and give me respect. Yeah, I agree. How's that? I, my company um, does, I haven't had it yet because I've been that, there that long, does four-day work weeks in the summer. But they say, hey, look, basically it goes from five, eight-hour days to ten uh, to four, ten-hour days. I'm like, yeah, I'm in. I'll do that. I'll get to work an hour earlier. I'll go eight till six and get a three-day weekend every week. I used to work 12-hour shifts, and it was uh, three on, three off, four on, four off. Mm. Right? Beautiful. Loved having that much time off. Yeah. yeah. I'm a new business owner, so I, I never sleep. Uh, well... You earned this. Well, who else is going to build that furniture? Mine is um, uh, is breaking traffic laws just to be nice. You know when people stop when they shouldn't stop so that you can go in front of them or the the or the pedestrian can cross in the middle of the number seven or something. Why are you attacking my mother so specifically? It I can't stand it. I can't stand it. Oh, when can't stand oh, specifically. This is the one yeah. that I. Fucking hate. When you see five cars down and someone stops, and there's a green light and they stop to let someone else in. I'm like, that doesn't mean more people get through the light. It means I now don't. That you fucking dick. <laughs> Fuck off. The laws are there for a reason. Efficiency. This happened to Terry on the way here. On the Clearly, way. Yeah. I hate St. John Street, Port Moody. <laughs> Suck a dick. It's a mimic. The Roundtable Dungeons & Dragons discussion podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our conversation on Dungeon Mastery Tips. I'm Dan, and with me today are Terry and Adam, the OGs. Um, and this episode is called Variance Rules, When Characters Become Diplomatic and Emphatic, Charismatic and Dramatic, or Traumatic and Erratic. We've previously covered a lot in our conversations on Dungeon Mastering, including a bunch of variant rules like Sanity and Honor in Episode 58, and Multiclassing, Unique Weapons, and Special Healing and Damage rules in Episode 169. Nice. nice. You can find over 30 episodes covering DM tips, tricks, and inspirations on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and dozens of other podcast apps, or you can jump over to the YouTube and dig into the entire playlist on Dungeon Master tips that we've built there. In this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, this panel of Dungeon Master is going to crack open the DMG, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, and the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide to dig into some more variant rules. There are tons of them in the published material, and some of the homebrew rules I've seen online address issues that there are actual rule options for. Today, we're going to cover variant rules surrounding communication and reputation and revisit the discussion on madness. But before we get started, I have to ask Terry, how do you feel about how D&D handles the concept of sanity? You didn't get a chance to go over this idea with us in the previous discussion, and we know how much you love the darker and grittier mechanic that we saw in our Call of Cthulhu actual play. Well, uh, Call of Cthulhu uses sanity to provide a sense of doom, constant doom. But D&D, I feel, uses sanity to provide a sense of urgency. There's ways out. There's there's things you can do to come back um, from madness and, and issues with sanity. And so it gives you urgency to keep moving forwards. Call of Cthulhu is just a constant sense of inevitable doom. Uh, yeah, Call of Cthulhu kind of sets it more as like a secondary hit point pool. Mm, that's right? right. The less and less this number, uh, the smaller and smaller this number gets, the 
more and more you are going to die, and it's harder to bring back at the end of the day, too. Whereas D&D sanity is very much more just a, I don't know, a seventh attribute that you kind of track. Yeah, you can get different madnesses. I know we're going to talk about that, but like, it's just role-playing opportunities. That's yeah. all it is. It's just, you can role-play now. Yeah, I guess that's true. Well, let's let's dive into madness a little bit more, and uh, I'm going to get you to do it, Terry. So take it away. Let's talk about some you, madness. You want to get me to go mad? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll start with sanity, if that's okay. Sure. Yeah. As that slowly slips away from all of us, we take about 10 minutes before we record to just talk about how our lives are falling apart, <laughs> and then we start recording. Like We're doing all right. We're we, doing we, better. We wipe the tears away and then try to put on a show. <laughs> yeah, I know. Then we talk about sanity. Uh, yeah, sure. Well, the rules of uh, sanity, how it works in D&D, sanity essentially is an optional rule where you can introduce another stat. Okay. Uh, so you have your strength, charisma, uh, intelligence, all that stuff, and then you can introduce uh, sanity as another stat. So consequently, that means that you can have uh, sanity ability checks and you can have sanity ability saves. I guess the best way to um, show how they would be different is a check comes based on an action that you're taking a save comes based on an action that someone is taking against you is how I kind of remember it uh, okay in cool. my mind. yeah yeah um and so times when you would maybe need to roll a sanity check could be a situation where such as if you're deciphering a piece of text which is written in a language which is so alien to you that it threatens or breaks the character's mind this is weird to me for D&D because there are so many different language options right like i think it means specifically dark speech not deep speech not the underdark shit not the aberration shit dark speech the book of Vile Darkness. Right. That really nasty book that's out there. Yeah. That is essentially the Necronomicon. Right. right. That's yeah. that's what it says to me. It's not alien so much as, as it's going to pull... It, it will smooth the wrinkles of your brain. And it's like... I, I imagine it to be like frequencies and things. It's going to mess with your... You know, it's going to mess I with mean, your mind. I mean, there's a whole bunch it. of shit. We went over this in the Mind Flayers episode. There's a whole bunch of shit about trying to decipher their language, you got to make checks to even attempt. Right. And it can be difficult. Yeah. And this is maybe where it's going to come into play. Yeah. I know you've made one point and we're immediately going to take a side, and this isn't on the script. But question for you guys. When you have an item that is incredibly evil what in What is the point? Itself, I was doing breakdowns, Adam, that I try desperately to cling to. Go ahead, Dan. That I like, spend like an hour and 40 minutes writing for every Yeah. So when you guys have... Uh, magic items that are super evil. I just had one in a game, which is why I'm bringing it up. Sure. Um, but you don't have a sanity rule. Do you have, if they try to like detect magic, do you have some sort of effect that's not part of the spell? Uh, well, typically you would do a wisdom or a charisma save yeah. at that point. Yeah, discussing I, checks, right? I had, I had two characters straight up fall unconscious because they tried to detect a god-level evil item. I just harass the player until they feel bad. That's true. That, yeah... That's happened to both of us. And I don't mean like I insult them. I mean that I just, I I will mess with you until we find an insecurity. And then. Like you don't already have a mental checklist of every single person's insecurities of the, you've ever met. It's a physical checklist too. I keep a little booklet. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Sorry, Terry. Keep going. (laughs) Until you find an insecurity. Do this math in front of people out loud. (laughs) And I go, I promise if I was by myself in a quiet room, I could do this. Hey, Dan, have a sincere conversation about your personal life. Oh, Oh, my God. How's your sex life, Dan? Oh, fuck off. (laughs) How's Dan's sex life, Terry? I live in a a divided, like, where I work is, like, divided between, like, engineers and, like, front-end teams, like, marketing and stuff. And you speak to, like, marketing and salespeople all day. And then I'll go and, like, ask a question to an engineer. And they're like, 
I'm like, you have to speak up. I can't fucking hear you. Like, seriously. Uh, but it's not their fault. That's not their skill. It's fine. It's okay. Um, another example of an ability check with sanity could be overcoming the lingering effects of madness. Yep. Right? You know, you've still got the twitch in your in your eye. You've still got lingering effects of uh, shell shock or something. Better than still having the itch. Exactly. Exactly that. Uh, or comprehending a piece of alien magic foreign to all normal understandings of magic. Of course, this would warrant a sanity check. Whereas... You may come across a situation where you need to do a sanity save. That is, some kind of action is being done against you and you have to save yourself from it. An example of that could be uh, traveling through a uh, traveling through a demiplane. Okay. It could be uh, seeing something completely alien to you. Or it could be direct contact with the mind of an alien creature. Now, hold on a sec. Most people are going to think Far Realms, Beholders, Mind Flayers, that shit. Right. Hags, the Fae. Do this too. You don't think that Alice was doing sanity saves as she was shrinking down at the beginning of Alice in Wonderland? Right, right. Right, like, come on. There, there's more than just tentacles to make you do this shit. Yeah, the pandemonium's just not a bunch of high-velocity wind tunnels. It's also constant ear, uh, sorry, unavoidable noise. You're going to be doing sanity checks yeah. from that because that's how, like, even modern day, that's how we inflict mental damage in war right play loud music on speakers over the border for yeah. hours upon hours on end right yeah like it's a form of torture yeah just anything that there's no rest from yeah anything anything constant and it, that can be silence just absolute silence will drive you insane you know hey would you guys go into the quietest room in the world I read about that, and I think the longest somebody lasted well it was like 15 minutes and then somebody lasted an hour or something after yeah that. no 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 one no one cracked the hour long. Apparently, you can hear every... It's so quiet. You can hear the workings of your body down to, like, your stomach gurgling and your your heart, like, pumping blood and stuff. Mm. And apparently, you will start to hallucinate given enough time. Really? Yeah, and it doesn't take much time. Like, it's like 10 minutes. I, I don't want the quietest room in the world, but just a quiet room for 15 minutes. Yes, please. I totally want to try it. I want to see how just... <clears throat> Cookie dukes... Fuck you, Dan. You're welcome. I would be by the time that I'm out. Like, I'm so curious to know what I would hallucinate. Yeah. I hope I see Jesus. I don't know if I want to go in there, to be honest. <laughs> not in the room, in my mind. I don't uh -huh. know if I got to face... I don't know if I want to face all of this. Maybe it's not... I don't know. I made it sound like I'm insane. I'm not. I mean, it's just, you know, we've all got our quirks and stuff. I don't want to find out the reasons for it. The oh. deepest recesses of my mind are where my insecurities lie, and I don't want to... And they're not that deep. <laughs> no. <so. laughs> Yeah, but uh, for the players out there, or the DMs, this would make more sense for, to find all of the information for the variant rules on sanity, you can find them in the Dungeon Master's Guide, pages 265 through 266. Uh, but how does it all work? So what is the difference between checks and saves? I've been through that. Check is an action that you're taking. Save is an action being taken against you. But compared to Call of Cthulhu, sanity issues are inevitable in Call of Cthulhu, and you, you will feel, I think, you will feel like you have more control or there's more reactive measures in D&D. It is certainly something that will spark urgency. You need to act, but there's things that you can do um, to, to combat it a little bit more. It kind of becomes a side quest, if you will. Um, sanity issues within Call of Cthulhu are just something you have to deal with and life is awful and try and survive as long as you can, but you're going to end up going insane eventually. Uh, so they kind of approach it with, uh, with two different ways. When it comes to the strengths and the boons of using uh, sanity rules um, in 5th edition, 
it, it introduces a new funnel to the game and it provides new options for rewards and challenges. You know, it's a whole it's a whole new layer to the game where you can become incredibly creative with it, and uh, I it's a new direction that players get to explore and learn more about their characters uh, and themselves. Um, but when it comes to the the weaknesses and the dangers for DMs to be aware of, it's certainly more to consider. There's more variables now that you're introducing sanity. There's essentially more ways that the players can go off the rails, so to speak. So it, it can make consistency um, issues arise, um, and it can lead to more chance of your campaign getting derailed if you're not uh, if you're not used to working with sanity. All right. Well, then let's grab our dice guys and ask simply: Would you allow this variant rule in your D and D games? Nineteen. Fourteen. Fourteen. Roll off, Dan. Roll off. Ah. In the box. Dan. I got a nine. I got an eight. Okay, I'll go first. Yes, I would. Absolutely. I think I played enough D&D uh, where I could get to grips uh, with sanity. It's yep. a part of the game I would like to explore. You guys know I like that kind of dark game. But I like the sense of urgency that comes from it. I don't see it being an issue. Some people may say, well, you know, sanity may start to take the agency away from you, uh, your player. But that's the point. Uh, uh, but, but also, it doesn't everything. You know, you have to make saves and checks against everything. You yeah. know, you you can... I just gave one of my players lycanthropy. And like... Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Uh, like, and the player, not the character. No, I gave one of the characters lycanthropy. And she's like, what does this actually do? And we'll, and I'm just like, we'll talk. We'll t- you'll find out. Right? <laughs> you'll know when I know. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. And uh, I, I know it's certainly more to consider. And you, you might even have the argument of, well, how do you role play... Um, a character using sanity rules. Well, in the same way that you would role a character, role play a character who is clearly more intelligent than you, or is, is way more charismatic than you are in real yeah. life. In the same, in the same vein. Yeah. Yes, I would. And I have. Yeah. And I liked it. Yeah. It was good. We didn't get to use it as much as I wanted to, um, especially because I had Demogorgon walking around for a significant portion of that campaign as well. Which is just by, like, vicinity and aura around him alone crack his sanities to zero. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. we really got to play with it. And you could get permanent sanity damage. Oh, and our rule was, if you hit zero, like in Call of Cthulhu, you're dead. You're, you're gone. You're, you drool. That's what you do. You have a thousand-yard stare, and you drool. And so That's I... That's great. Sorry to interrupt, but I would love... To go back and visit a PC who, unfortunately, is in a hospital or a center somewhere now because of that very reason. You can go back and visit. They're still alive. But uh, that would be a great way to end a character. I mean, spoiler for Curse of Strahd. Isn't that in there? Yeah. Yeah. Right? right. There's a popular NPC that's sitting there drooling all over themselves. Anyway, like, I, I really, really like it. I didn't get to play with it enough. One of the things that I did to add to it was I tailor made... Uh, D8 tables for every one of the players about the kind of vision that they were going to get. Um, they were weird enough to be metaphorical and I could use them over and over and over again and maybe be a little prophetic. One of them I remember was the uh, wizard was seeing um, images of uh, herself as just absolutely massive and destroying a floating town. And then later in that campaign, the Tarask destroyed a floating town due to like crazy magic fuckery. I don't think any of the players put that together. I didn't... By that point, I kind of abandoned that we were trying to get to the end of the campaign. Yeah. Um, but I was definitely starting to lay the groundwork down. There was a lot of that kind of vision stuff. My players didn't really take notes. I don't think they realized it was prophecy so much as Adam just saying creepy shit. So, 
Um, I, I would definitely play with it a little bit more if given the chance. But now I'm running, running Call of Cthulhu on Fridays, and I'm just having a shit ton of All fun with that. All the sanity. Oh, yeah. Or none of it. Yeah. Um, so my big thing about sanity in D&D is, um, Adam, we and I have... Uh, sorry, you and I have talked at length about how I play a very different game and I run a very different game than you would. Um, I kind of play high fantasy sword and sorcery, uh, heroic fantasy level stuff. Whereas you have more hijinks than I do. I have I have hijinks and ridiculousness. Like there is a villain in my campaign that is a goose named Duke Wellington. Like, um, which is uh, not to say that I don't because I have two mimics right now that speak. They're NPCs and their name are their Phil names. and Phyllis. Fillmore. And Phyllis. Yeah. God. So I... uh hurts. <laughs> so I would say in my campaign, Sanity might not might not track. Like, as a DM, you kind of got to have that sense of awareness to know that this may or may not work for your campaign. And if you have players at your table who have no interest in running anything resembling horror or fear, don't put Sanity in your game. Yeah. Right? That's, yeah. Good insight. Curse of Strahd, Tomb of Annihilation, Out of the Abyss, Dungeon of the Mad Mage, even, I can make an argument. Princes of the Apocalypse. Uh, yeah, um, Icewind Dale, yes. I can see sanity shit for that. Dra- mean, Dragon Heist? No. no. Um, the Wild Beyond the Witchlight? Yeah, a little bit. Ma- yeah, maybe some. I mean, you can put a filter over anything, really. Yeah. You can say, hey, you know, we're going to play whatever. Um, fucking... I'm completely. What's the giants of Stone King's Thunder? That's yeah. what I'm trying to say. And you can you can be clear from the start in your session zero that I want to put a darker kind of film over it, and this is what we're looking at. And you can make it work, you know, but at face value, not necessarily. Okay, let's move on to madness then. So, what is the difference, guys, between sanity and madness? Well, essentially, I got one of them. Okay, <laughs> essentially, uh, sanity is is part of this system it's a stat right so it's part of the system and part of the mechanics whereas madness is an effect it's a condition you can get within the game um like being unconscious or asleep uh so where would you find more information for this dungeon master's guide again pages 258 through 260 and how does it work how does one go mad within D&D? Well, you can get it from diseases, poisons, other planar effects that may lead to wisdom and charisma saves, or if you're using the sanity rules that we just discussed, a sanity save. Uh, but there are essentially three kinds of madness. There are sh- There is short-term madness, long-term madness, and indefinite madness. So short-term madness would last for 1d10 minutes. This is essentially the immediate effects of something that's that's led to a brief madness. So it could be that a player sees something or experiences something that makes them retreat into their mind and they become uh, paralyzed. Not necessarily uh, in fear. People will become paralyzed uh, in madness for a number of different reasons. Or they may start babbling so they have no access to regular speech. So that means that uh, the verbal components of their spells, for example, are now not going to work. Or perhaps they begin walking in a random direction. You will often get that from people who are in shock. If you've ever witnessed something unfortunate like a car accident, you'll often see people will just start walking off in a random direction. That could be considered uh, short-term madness. Or long-term madness, 1d10 times 10 hours. This could be 
uh, a player character repeating a specific activity. The one that came to mind to me, spoiler alert for Snowpiercer in 3, 2, 1, was the children in Snowpiercer yeah. you've seen where they do they repeat the same hand action all mm -hmm. the time. That would be uh, an example of long-term madness. Or if they get attached to a lucky charm or some sort of strange item that doesn't seem to make sense. If they get tremors or they get ticks, that's very common in real life as well. Uh, those would be examples of long-term madness. But then we also have indefinite madness. This could be behavioral changes such as bending the truth or, or lying or, or consistently lying. And, and it doesn't seem apparent as to why that might be. Um, to be convinced that people are hunting you or are after you for something. Uh, or perhaps uh, one discovers that they like killing people. Or burning um, things. Or burning things, yeah. James. Oh, oh, yeah, James liked to burn things. Oh, burn shit, things. yeah. Okay. Yeah, don't go camping with Dave and James. Really? No, no you, no. That seems to... Those two still wet the bed. That doesn't seem to be productive now. with James's career path that he's pursuing. No, no not, not so much. No. <laughs> okay. I think he's trying to help himself more than anything else. Anyways, moving forward. <laughs> so how about curing madness? Well, I would say really it depends on, on where it comes from. Um, In-game, you could... You could kind of, as a DM, you could put in some sort of mechanism for like therapy or something like that. I mean, typically people may use spells such as um, uh, calm emotions to kind of uh, settle somebody down or lesser restoration could work. But I think there's ways that you can also build it into your story as you would um, if you're trying to remove a curse or something like that. Um, but when it comes to the strengths and the boons of using the Madness Variant Rules in 5th Edition... I would argue that it makes for more interesting encounters because you have a new threat now and you have with short term with short term madness you have a new way a new puzzle essentially that you can introduce into a combat encounter um, in the same way that like confusion would change a combat encounter short term madness would have a similar effect uh, and then you have uh, things that will affect your story indefinitely with indefinite madness or long term madness uh, but ultimately all of this I believe is going to create better game memories because it's the it's the struggles right that you look back on it's those kinds of catastrophes that you look back on they become the best sort of uh, the best sort of memories but for weaknesses and dangers that dungeon masters should be aware of it's going to be harder to determine cr when it comes to combat encounters if madness is going to be included because things can go way off the rails uh, very quickly uh may even lead to a pc death uh, without you realizing are you okay dan yeah i'm fine <laughs> i'm boring the shit out of dan uh so it's gonna be more it's gonna be more difficult to stay on track when madness is included, player character activity is going to be less predictable and thusly will be harder to prepare for as well. Um, all right, so let's uh, roll the dice and ask if you guys want to put madness effects in your game. Got a natural 20. 18. Four. Um, well, hey. Yes, but I'm going to add the caveat that um, mental health is not a thing you really want to take too lightly. Be very aware and definitely talk about if you're going to be playing into uh, weaknesses of the mind and, and maladies of the mind, make sure you're covering that potentiality in a session zero. You say potentiality? Yes. Fuck. What the fuck? Now, okay, I just dropped a sanity point. Jesus. You're welcome. Fuck. Save us, Terry. Uh, I would add to that and I would say, yes, I would like to use madness. And mental health is certainly something that needs to be talked about. However, we don't always need to constantly be talking about it. You know, otherwise it's just remember you're sad and we don't need that. I think you can play madness in a fictional game without it having to become some sort of mental illness uh, campaign. 
uh, is my point. Just enjoy it. It's there to be enjoyed. Otherwise, we will run out of things to talk about. These guys have stopped, so I'll pause. Potentiality is a word, you motherfuckers. Just use the word potential. It's redundant. Potentiality. It's a, it's a you stupid word. You stopped my madness thing for that? Yes, because I get, I get shit on relentlessly for making up words on the podcast. And, and you do. And, and you that's do all the time. Fair. I, to be fair. honest, I've actually never heard anybody say potentiality. No. But, no. but if, if I'm going to use a real word, so I refuse to use it. I don't think you used it properly, though, because it's about... You were talking about the potential to do yeah, something. Yeah, I do agree with Adam on this one. Potentiality means the latent qualities or abilities that may be developed and lead to f- future success or usefulness or doing something in the future. So the potentiality of... May uh, the events of the campaign may lead to this thing. I used it in the proper sense. That's potential. All right. Okay. Fuck. Fuck. I'm mad. Anyway. You're mad. I'm right. Anyways. Just, if you're (laughs) going to use madness, just enjoy it for what it is. And you will be fine. Adam? Adam? Um, no, I'm not going to use this. I absolutely am not going to use this. I don't believe you. No, I, I'm going to make my own tables, like I said. Oh, okay. This shit is too much. It's like, it's the wild magic table, only with, with role-playing and personalities, right? Instead you of, think you're a potted plant. Yeah, right. And like, it, it, you're rolling on the tables that they give you in the DMG. You're not in control. I'm going to gear it. If this is an option, I'm going to gear it to the different players. I'm going to write a handful of things at a, at a break, at a lunch break, right? <laughs> All right, here's some good ideas for a monk. Here's some good ideas for the bard. Here's some good ideas for the fighter, right? And then knock out five or six of them, maybe hone it a little bit over the course of a few sessions, and then see where you go from there. But at least then it's personal. I would much rather pull on your character backstory than say, you walk in a random direction for the next two minutes. Fuck that. Mm, This doesn't make it more interesting or fun, and my way makes it more memorable. Right. If so if you're gonna do it, like yes, but yeah, do yeah, it that like, way. Like like have have a flesh out the madnesses a little bit more. How about every time the wizard walks through a door, he has to come back out and walk back through it again? Every yeah. single time. Yeah, uh, every time that you cast magic missile, you have to cast it three times. No wait, that's already a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or every time you touch your, your bat poop to cast your spell, you have to wash your hands somewhere. Use the cleric's holy water. <laughs> Let's take a break from the regular lunacy for just a second and shift gears. This is in direct response to a private message I received from one of our listeners, and I didn't think it could wait for a mailbag episode. Every table has tensions. Every passion waxes and wanes. Every friendship gets tested. I myself have personally seen more than a few D&D groups disband for a number of reasons. Some were handled well, some were handled poorly. And I've lost friends over this game. So let me tell you the little pieces of wisdom I have to give for when D&D starts to become too stressful. First of all, it's okay to take a break sometimes. Spending some time at home after a stressful day or taking a few weeks off to gain some perspective on a fictional story is okay. You're allowed to stop and breathe. You're allowed to take time for yourself and recenter your priorities. You're allowed to regenerate if you're feeling burned out. Players, if you're having an issue at the table, then finish your session, wait a couple of days, and then talk with the others. Be reasonable, be clear, and be calm. Don't be accusatory. 
and understand that not every DM out there has experience with conflict resolution. Dungeon Masters, if there is an issue at your table, then you need to listen to the players, and you need to listen to yourselves as well. I recommend postponing the next session to let things settle. If someone else has an issue, it's not your job as a DM to settle it. A moderator of rules is not necessarily a mediator of conflict. But it is your job as a friend to make sure that people you play with are having fun and feeling emotionally safe. And DMs, if the person at the table having a conflict is you, then it's okay to turn to your friends and communicate about it. Be open and honest and remain calm. And if you need to take some time off, then that's okay too. DM burnout is real. I myself get so damn tired having to justify myself to hostile players, repeat myself for the fourth time, and manage everybody else's schedules. That's not my job, and it's not what I signed up to do. And it's not your job either. I'm allowed to take some time for myself, and so are you. So, everybody, I want to say that you don't need permission to be okay. You don't need permission to defend yourself or to speak up for yourself. But if you want it, here's my permission. You should take care of yourself. You should take care of your friends, and you should take care of your passions. Just make sure that you communicate like adults and aim for a peaceful middle ground. Take some time to collect your thoughts and calm your emotions. And if possible, resolve your conflicts face to face. And as an additional note to tack on the end, I just want to encourage everyone to be mindful of your mental health and of others. If you need help, ask. If you feel unsafe, speak up. Remember that someone out there loves you deeply, and if it doesn't feel that way now, you don't know about the person out there who is waiting for destiny to bring you together as allies, friends, or even family. There are always tools to help in any situation, and it's okay to ask for guidance and assistance. You are just one person, and there are a lot of issues in the world today. We get through it together, not apart. No one is expecting you to be perfect. It is okay to ask for help. Remember, the most important person to your passion is yourself, and you deserve protecting. You deserve to be happy. But others deserve to be happy as well. So compromise where you can, and take time if you need. But stay calm, be honest with yourself and with others, and don't be afraid to ask for help. Okay, so I want to talk about the potentiality of using a different <laughs> kind of system here. It just feels good coming out of your mouth, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> Name of my sex tape. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. Guys, I'm trying to have a D&D podcast here. Sorry. You wouldn't mind. Have you not listened to the previous 176 episodes? No, I can't because you keep making a bullshit word. Anyway, I'm moving on. Fucking sanity checks left. Okay, so <laughs> I want to talk about a different system to increase the fun for D&D that you can add on. Now, again, that's, that's all variants. Um, and I wouldn't say this one is great. I wouldn't even say it's good. 
I barely call it a system, and I don't think it's fun. So so strap in. So strap in. <laughs> I may get a little negative, um, but uh, the more digging I did, the more exasperated I became. So bear with me. I promise that I'm going to end on a high note, but I'm going to try to not be enraged working through this because it was just one bad fucking idea after another. And that is Renown. So Renown is one of the optional rules in the DMG that lets you numerically track the reputation that PCs have with a faction or organization. It doesn't only have to be with a single organization, though. For example, a character's renown might be an 8 with Xanathar's Guild and a 19 with the Cult of the Dragon. If that happens, you might want to have an intervention with your player because they might be actively working to destroy your world. Don't let them get a 19 with the Cult of the Dragon. <laughs> anyway, the first time I saw this in the DMG, I immediately threw it out the window. It recommends that this is a stat that the players track themselves. But I know that 80% of my players can't even be trusted to level up between sessions, or keep notes that aren't just Goblin Codpiece, Talk to Sheriff about the thing, uh, Don't Do It was one I saw last week. Elf question mark? Yeah, right? So, um, the idea... Don't do it. Brilliant. Fuck. Having another codified mathematical mechanic to keep track of, when most of them think that 8 plus 6 is 17, and I gotta watch their fucking dice, seems like it might be a bit of a stretch to, to add this to the average game. But, as I was doing my research, I slowly became more annoyed at the waste of fucking ink of even printing it, because it gets worse. You guys can totally chime in when you think I'm being pedantic, but I stand by my fucking opinions on this. It's so Pedanticality? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so here's what the DMG gives us. You hand out renown when you see fit. And it looks like it goes from 0 to 50, but there's no reason for that to be the limit. It's just... You don't get anything new when you go above 51. It's just odd that your player characters are getting an average of two and a half renown per level when you start to break it down like that. Okay. Like you'll play three or four sessions and get two renown. Why are we adding this additional? Anyway, sure. the examples given are when you do something that the faction or cult or whatever uh, likes, your renown goes up by one. If you complete a mission directly given by the faction your renown goes up by two. If you do something they really like, even by accident, it could go up by still just two. The most you can ever get at a time is two. Remember, we're going up to 50. Okay. My second major gripe is that you're handing out a lot of renown, character by character, all of the fucking time. And yet, it never feels like a big enough leap forward. Remember, you can get up to 50, and the max you can hand out at once is two. So if you have different characters... With different objectives and different downtime activities, you could end up with a power imbalance when it comes to in-world politics. Mm -hmm. So, balancing a constant stream of meta rewards, like experience, on top of all the other balance issues a DM has to worry about, just seems like additional work you don't need to fucking do. We already threw experience out the window in 5th edition. I don't know anybody that still runs with experience. I'll go to bat for it, but even still, I, I run Milestone. I like it because it's classic, not because it's good. Sure. Um, but let's talk about the benefits, according to the DMG. Missionary. And, and this is... Yes, let's talk about <laughs> missionary. No. So, about... Um, when I say benefits, I don't just mean like in passing. Benefits is actually a thing listed. It is a, a subtitle. You can increase your rank within an organization. There's a small chart that randomly assigns renowned milestones of 1, 3... 10, 25, and 50 to some of the Waterdeep factions. That's big gaps. Yeah. Each time you hit a milestone, you get a new rank. 
No description or anything, just a title. But then the book tells you that you can add other prerequisites, like characters having to be of a certain level in order to increase in rank. Sure, you have 10 renown, but you aren't level 8 yet, so no promotion. So again, why bother using renown at all? And isn't it, isn't this double requirement an odd, unnecessarily complicated issue to drop on your players? Like, were they worried that players might rank up too quickly, so they suggested you should invent your own limiting factor? And if so, why fucking design it to be flawed in the first place? <laughs> Another one of the benefits is acclaim and fame within the organization. As another member learn of as, as other members learn of your deeds to help the faction, they become more willing to help you. Again, they say that you, as the DM, can set thresholds or attitudes just automatically shift further in the character's favor. This is if they reach a certain level of renown. Which means they're taking away the role-playing and they're just making it math. And again, I know players. Most players who figure out the system will start to gun for thresholds and worry less about role-playing than they will about grinding mundane tasks during downtime so that they can incur more favor with their buddies at work. Right? The next section is called Perks. And I'm going to read this next sentence to you directly from the DMG. Earning a rank within an organization comes with certain benefits as defined by you. So this section just reads as, I don't know, make it up, etc. <laughs> they do try to give some examples, but they all suck. So here's, here's the examples. You can give them followers, which are just more NPCs you have to manage. Access to random potions or scrolls, which is just going to lead to magic item bloat. The ability to get back up on dangerous missions and therefore slow down initiative and combat and take the spotlight away from the players. Mm. Uh, or at higher levels, they can call on a small army, which I mean, <laughs> for fuck's sakes, give us those rules, Wizards of the Coast. Don't just say more NPCs have hundreds. <laughs> like, fuck. <laughs> you could get a new rare magic item, keeping in mind that the game is designed and balanced to be played with almost no magic items. I summon army. Yeah. Um, you can um, gain access to a high-level spellcaster, which is going to step on the toes of the party's spell slingers, or even assign missions to low-level members of the faction. So now we're just playing middle management in our Dungeons & Dragons. It's so poorly thought out that this section isn't even worth mentioning, outside of me, Adam, telling all of you out there to limit this kind of shit or it will blow up in your fucking face. And make your job as a DM infinitely harder, so don't do it. And the last benefit that they list is downtime activities. Now I'm going to circle back to this in a minute because it sent me 100 pages deeper into the book looking for specific answers that they kind of said are coming. Just flip forward 100 pages and it'll be fine. Now, there's a paragraph that states that if your players fuck up in the eyes of the organization, they can lose renown or rank. And while that seems to make sense, it's not very fun. Who wants to go home after a session feeling like an asshat because General Mustachio just demoted you and ruined four sessions of work just because you failed a check or two? Again, there's no real system for this. Just figure it out for yourself. Yeah. So far, this mechanic is poorly defined, arbitrarily assigned, mathematically clunky, difficult to track, easy to abuse, full of inconsistent rewards, and potential, sorry, potentiality uh, for punishing for just like the most obscure reasons because there's no fucking system here. So, 
I wanted to jump ahead into the downtime, thinking, hey, you know what? Downtime variants, like, this could be the saving grace here. Give me something to do. Because the fighter, the barbarian, and the sorcerer need interesting and fun shit to do while the bard is schmoozing and the cleric and warlock commune with higher powers and the wizard studies. Half of them have shit to do. The other half don't. Maybe this is something. So what does it say? It says, and I quote, Between adventures, a character undertakes minor tasks for the organization and socializes with its members. After pursuing these activities for a combined number of days equal to his or her current renown multiplied by 10, the character's renown increases by 1. Oh. That's it. No advice on what these activities might entail, no direction given, just math. And hold on, let me break it down for you, because fuck. <laughs> if I have three renown, I need to spend 30 days to increase my renown to four. This is like Matt Colville after dark. And if I have 49 renown, then I need 490 days to increase it to 50. That is so fucking diluted that it might not even be worth addressing. I was worried that this, on top of missions and quests, would give one player the ability to get ahead of the others by doing side missions. But it will never fucking matter after the second rank, because no one spends 20 days of downtime doing tasks for an organization. I could just imagine the one player that's trying to get like their 400 days or whatever it is go, so uh, DM, uh, what day are we on right now? Uh, Thursday. Thursday. It's two o'clock. <laughs> right? You're on day, flip paper, flip paper, flip paper. Uh, 276. You got another 24 oh, oh, days and then you and, uh, and then you have the Dan sitting there at the table going, well, wait a minute. Could we pass the harvest? Fuck. This is too much shit. That's okay. Look, I did the math from one to 50 takes 12,750 days of downtime. That's damn near 35 years. Assuming you never take a day off. If you take evenings and weekends, you'll be at it for 49 years. And assuming the average human in this medieval fantasy game will reach adulthood at age 16, that means they'll finally be ready to run the company the exact year they're ready to retire. And that's some fucking U.S. politics age versus leadership shit right there, and I don't even want to fucking address it. So, this section is useless, and I'm going to ignore it. For players, it's garbage, and can be ignored. For DMs, it's hot garbage, and should be burned. Make it hotter. So... Where do we go from here? Well, ladies and gentlemen, the answer is Ravnica. We go to Ravnica. I have spouted a claim for this book in the past, and I'm going to do it again now. This doesn't fix all the problems in the DMG, but it fixes a decent chunk of them, and it kind of gives you a direction to go in. First of all, Ravnica, for those of you who don't know, is guild-based, so it's designed to focus on working with and in factions. One of the very first things you get for being in a guild is three NPC contacts. These are an ally in your guild, a rival in another guild, and a third NPC that can be either an ally or a rival. Then, depending on the guild, you get a list of unique contacts, but more than just a name and an occupation. You get a relationship and scenario added to it. It's always a D8 table for fellow guild members and a D10 table for people outside the guild. And remember, there are 10 different guilds, so that's 10 D8 tables and 10 D10 tables. It's well thought out. It's excellently executed. I randomly flipped pages and rolled, and I got an ally who is a wise centaur trainer who believed in me even though I was a terrible student. That's my ally. My rival is my childhood friend is now a Rakdos torturer 
We still meet for drinks occasionally. That actually is very accurate. And I flipped a coin and to got my brother. A, a, really? A, yeah. Not me. I'm Rakdos free. Oh. <laughs> um, so yeah. I ended up uh, getting another ally. And here's one that so Terry, Terry, you, you'll appreciate this. I had a romance with a Demir agent whom I still feed secrets to. Okay. House Demir is a spy agency in Ravnica. Yeah. So you are like straight up a contact for the enemy. Oh. But. Yeah, like, kind of romantic, too. Yeah. Right off the bat, at one renown, I have shit to do and explore as a character. Now, the next thing that the book does is reiterate that crap about increasing your score by one every time you do something to advance the guild's goals. There's no real difference there. The difference now, though, is that each of the ten guilds have multiple paragraphs explaining their goals in clear, certain language. And the player is supposed to read it and understand it. It's in the player's section of the book. It also says that when you complete a mission that includes an adventure for the guild, your renown jumps by two. Great, more of the same. But the most brilliant part of this is that later in the book, there is a section for each guild that clearly outlines a D12 table of adventures to do at the main guild house, a D8 table of villains that need to be dealt with, a D6 table of assignments for characters within the guild, and a D6 table for further adventure hooks. That means 32 potential missions per guild when you only need 25 to get to the maximum rank. As a DM, having seven extra missions mean I can let players lose a little renown and it's not going to kill me. I can have them ignore a mission and go do their whatever bullshit that they want to do with their downtime and it's not going to knock everybody off the rails. It also means that I can ignore this insane downtime schedule if I want, which is good because it sucks, but I really wish it would have been better fleshed out, and Ravnica doesn't really give us that. Just as an aside, it also says in Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica that you can gain renown with other guilds at the same time, but you can't get ranks in any faction except the one you're in. Also, if you want to apply to a faction and already have enough renown with them, you just get hired on at that level. You don't have to climb through the ranks at all. Now, when it comes to benefits, we get two definitive low-level benefits that everyone gets regardless of the guild. Renowned three, again, three, it's super early. You are an established enough member of the guild to be respected by your peers. This is like walking down the hall in the office and just like giving that head nod. You don't know everybody's name, but you're like, oh, hey, yeah, oh, we work together, right? Good enough. And renowned three, that's super easy. You're the new guy. That means that you get this after your second successful faction quest, which is great for tying you to the guild and also makes sense about why the first promotion comes so early. It says that not every NPC is going to like you, but most will. You get free lodging and food in dire circumstances, as well as legal representation if you're accused of a crime, within reason. And they'll pay for your funerary costs if you fuck up. At Renown 5, again, super fucking early, you get an additional contact. I rolled randomly again, and from the Evil Carnival, I got, I had a romance with a pain artist in another troupe. So, <laughs> you know, hot. Um, but kinky BDSM shit aside, this is a good stopgap to keep the players interested between the promotions at Renown 3 and 10. And I wish there was more of these, but I feel like that by the time you've worked your way up, the DM has an enough of a handle on the faction to keep the players interested. There have been enough plot hooks. You're into it now. So, there are other boons of joining a faction. You get a background. The background comes with skill and tool proficiencies, a language, and equipment, 
as well as a special feature that's unique to the guild. For example, the Mad Scientist Guild gives you a basic knowledge of buildings and structures and lets you have a leg up on getting and reading blueprints and determining if there are special entrances, areas, or secret chambers. Also, no matter the guild, if you can cast spells, you get additional spells to add to your spell list. This stuff should have been right in the DMG from the beginning. Mm -hmm. There's a section for each guild that breaks down not only what your rank is, but the prerequisites like being a spellcaster or having proficiency with martial weapons, as well as special perks and responsibilities that you get at each rank. Only some of these ranks have these special prerequisites, and they're usually for special roles within the guild, which means you can still climb through the ranks as normal if you want. But you know what else you can get? A salary. It's loosely specified as enough to live at a specific level of lifestyle as outlined in the player's handbook. So it's more about role-playing opportunities and less about crunching numbers, which is great. Yeah. Fuck that extra gold math shit. How many days has it been? Can I go by the bank so I can... No. You just, you just are living comfortably. How many sets of clothes do you have? Add another one and they're all nicer. Call of Cthulhu does this and it does it very well. Yes. So, finally, it addresses the fact that when you get a high enough rank, you can have underlings. But it also says that your guild is watching, and if you abuse your powers, there can be hell to pay. You're responsible for your hirelings. Again, there's a vague discussion about losing renown, but now it mentions that it might be more difficult to regain a rank that you have lost. Also, if you leave your guild for whatever reason, your renown drops to zero automatically because you pissed them off. And swapping factions can come with certain challenges like a delay on benefits and perks in a new organization. You have essentially a, a waiting period. You're on probation, right? Mm. So Ravnica fixed most of my gripes. I thought the rank system was strange and poorly defined, but this book gave definitive boons and perks at early levels and enough of an outline to give limitations and inspire me a little bit. The mention of the existence of faction goals without properly outlining any has been clearly fixed. The ranks have clear descriptions and responsibilities, and the list of bad idea perks in the DMG is ignored, as specific weight is given not only to the levels of renown, but also to specific ranks. The idea of NPC attitudes and roles are well-defined, come early enough to give intrigue, offer plot hooks, and discourage murder hoboism, and the overall structure seems better thought out. The idea of losing renown now feels like it sits better within the system, just because they defined it better. Still, my two biggest problems, though, remain. There's too much math, if I have to juggle this shit for everybody, especially if I have to give up multiple quests to keep different players engaged, and the downtime options suck. Yeah. But the inclusion of backgrounds and contacts seems absolutely inspired, so I don't know, I'm on the fence about it. All right, well, let's grab our dice. Let's ask a couple questions here. About renown. I got a 19. Natural 20. 14. All right, Adam, uh, do you include renown in your D&D games at your table? No, still. Even even with Ravnica in mind? I love the Ravnica shit. If I'm playing in Ravnica, I'll do it because it's clearly defined. Or it, even a campaign that's just guild heavy. Yeah, but I want to be able to plug in and play out of the Ravnica guilds because it's all done for me. Once I've done it two or three times out of Ravnica... I'll be able to make my own guilds and factions and cults and all yeah. that shit, right? Well, th this was going to be my point, is if you don't like specifically, like you don't like Rakdos uh, or Demir or the other guilds of Ravnica, there are, you said there are 10 of them? There are 10. There are 10 guilds. 
look at the 10 guilds, figure out how they're kind of building the progression, and then build your own. And honestly, there are enough options within the different guilds, because there's a player section for each guild and a DM section for each guild. There's enough shit in there that you can say, hey, I want a lawful neutral guild of monks. You will be able to find enough shit on those tables to make your own tables just by copying and pasting. This is like creating your own background. Creating your own background of 5e is a, another optional rule. But it, it's the same thing where it's like, just look at what you want from the pre-established stuff and pick and choose your traits and that's how you do it. Yeah. Right? It's the same thing with this. I, I personally, I like having guilds. I like having them in my game. And I like having this level of... Uh, um, ambition almost in my game for my players to have like gives you kind of a goal for that player i had a player come to me um say you know i asked him what is your goal in this game and he goes i don't know power what the fuck am i supposed to do? okay i'm giving you a vorpal sword i guess like power how over people over the elements over the world your over answer reality? to power is vorpal sword well, I'm just gonna give him lightning to the he, face. He's he's level he's level six right now. Like, yeah, the most powerful thing he could conceive of is a vorpal sword. So, like the uh, give him give him opportunities to demonstrate power. Well, and right, so like I've got to get really creative. And if I had a system like Renown in my world, it would really help because mm -hmm. now you have an organization to gain power in. Right, right. So that's when I would use it. But again, I'm a lazy DM, and this is paperwork, so uh, probably not. Honestly, how great would this be for a pirate ship? You can become captain at Renown 50. You say that to the guy who's running a pirate campaign wondering how the hell do I convince my level 6 paladin he's not the captain of the fucking ship. Anyways. I like all of the outcomes of Renown, but I don't like all of the work that's involved. There's enough going on for me. Instead, I take inspiration from everything you discussed there, Adam, especially the Ravnica stuff. And I would just find ways to reward my players in that vein. I would, I would, I would not mechanically track how well the uh, the guild views them. I would just recognize when they're doing things that the guild would approve of and reward them accordingly. No. I think as DMs, we've all had that moment where we've had the shopkeep been like, "Hey, you guys really helped. You rescued my daughter from the goblins. You fought off the bandits. I'm going to give you a ten percent discount." Then they come back and they give you a bunch of diamonds for free. And then you're like, I'll give you a 15% discount, right? And you, you're doing that shit anyway. Yeah. But you're not running the math behind the scenes. No. Yeah. And, you know, the, the math tends to slow things down. And while there, are some while there are some people that really love a mathematical game, most people, especially with 5th edition, I found they don't really. They don't, no. they, don't like, they don't like to be they don't like it to bog the game down. We've said this before. If you are going in for the number crunching, the go to Pathfinder. crafting, go to Pathfinder, go to three five. This is how right I relax there. at the end of my week. All right? Yeah. Relax. Um th th this brings into the question, how would you guys juggle ranks and or how would you simplify the juggling of uh renown and ranks mm -hmm. with the math, without math? How would you do that? Right. Um, I, you know, I'd probably keep the math. I'm going to take it away from the players. Here's what I'd do. I'd get a fucking whiteboard or chalkboard or a, a piece of Bristol board on the wall behind me. I'm going to have one to 50 and I'm going to have a, a cue card that says your party is run now one. And every time you do shit, you can watch your, your little cue card go up or down, right? Kind of like the mountain climber on the old Price is Right shit, yeah, right? Mm -hmm. So that there's a visual representation. They can keep an eye on it. It's always there. And when they start to make decisions, you can turn around and put your hand 
on the on the thing, and they'll go, wait a minute, whoa, 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 is this good or bad? And then they'll all start to argue, and you have party politics, and now it's a thing. It's not an abstract, an abstract bullshit like amount of numbers that they're sitting there going, well, wait a minute, did I update it last week? I don't remember. Guys, what do you have written down for yours? Did we get one or two for that? They kind of mentioned they wanted this done, but was that a direct mission given? Right, like... Let me let me run it as the DM, yeah. and it will just be something that does happen eventually. If I'm really ambitious, I might have two or three factions, and you might go up in one and down in another, and you can try to get that balancing act going. But your way makes it a group goal, a group yes. project, which is good. You got to get everybody bought into it, though. You know, yeah. you got if you have one person who's not really bought into that idea, that will be the person that fucks it up. Can can we just say this is a game where you gather around a table with your friends to create a story together. If you are doing the No, my, I just show up to fuck kobolds. If if you are doing the my precious character, I'm the lone star like that level of character um and it doesn't fit with the rest of the campaign, you're an asshole. Or you just haven't played much D&D and you don't know the etiquette. I, I, yeah, but okay, so then listen to a podcast. I have some recommendations. Have heard, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but often like I... Start with Matt Colville and then head over to... No, never listen to one. It's a no, Mimic. Fuck no, fuck those guys. I am, I am, and the reason I say that, Dennis, I am consciously trying to see the good in people and not everyone's a fucking asshole in the world. Uh, and but so, there are fucking assholes and so in this world. I, I look like, why would that happen? Why do people do that? And it's often that they just don't understand what's expected. Yeah, they don't get no. it. But if you've been playing for 15 years, even three years you know all right you should have it figured out right now you know right but, uh, and and i mean if if that character let me get this out that character fits in your group that's fine but if you are playing in my campaign and you want to have that hard edgy um gritty chris nolan character uh, you're gonna feel out of place and and that's not the kind of game that i want to run mm-hmm. right so the communication key and we've talked about this endlessly so like, if, if beware. I think I would use a system... I would probably link it to my inspiration system. And what I would do is just track who is getting inspiration and what for along, like, certain, like, funnels. Well, let, and let, then reward them accordingly for that. Yeah. Well, let's ask this question. Do you guys have any interesting ways for players to gain renown through downtime? Do you guys have any ideas? Like, toss some ideas out there for everybody? Adam? <sighs> Fuck. See, this is what I wanted the most help with from the downtime thing. Because I... I've got a lot of ideas, but it's just more math. It's just more codified, gamified systems, mini games within D&D. Right. This is why I don't like the crafting rules in D&D either, right? Is because you just, you have these arbitrary rules, these these rule sets that are there so that you can just try to make it even bigger and even better. But do we have enough hours to do the whatever? And does it count if you get interrupted by a bar fight in the middle of downtime? And fuck like i just i don't know i don't know what the right answer is it depends on the guild i guess it should be mundane enough stuff that it should not include combat and if combat breaks out that's a problem mm-hmm. right it should be social or exploration for example you're part of a spy agency or a assassin's guild or whatnot you your job is to tail someone to find out where they go after hours on like a wednesday night that's a great mission. If they see you, they will run away and you didn't get to do it and it doesn't count. And you're, you know, no harm, no foul. I would also simply say it's not times 10, it's times five. 
Yeah. yeah. Like, let's cut that shit times three even. Let's really cut that shit down. And you don't have access to it until you're rank 10. So there's none of that speed shit at the beginning. The, the intensity of the uh, missions should be based off of your level of rank. Yeah. Okay. So here's another idea that I have. Candlekeep, uh, Tales from the Awning Portal, the new one, uh, Journeys into... The Radiant uh, Citadel. Citadel. Yeah, so that's the new one. That, Ghost of Saltmarsh is also yeah. another anthology. Right. These anthologies, if you decide that you're going to have a year or two passes in between, yeah, man, do it now. What did you do during these two years instead of just, I sat in the bar every night and told the story of the time I killed three Kuatoa, right? Like With my high school jock jacket on. Yeah, exactly, right? Like, reliving the glory days, which I believe is actually the framing device in Tales from the Awning Portal. Is just re- like every adventure is people telling the story of the adventure. Oh, of course it is. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, well, it's a it's bar, right? But yeah. anyway, I like for for that kind of situation. Yeah, I could include downtime stuff there. <sighs> Players and DM should work together. That's the thing I like about Ravnica. There's a player section for the guild. There's a DM section for the guild, and you are supposed to communicate about them. There is no hidden shit behind the scenes here. Yeah. If the players read all of the stuff in there, they're just going to read what the potentiality of the situation is. They're not going to know the specifics of what you as a DM are bringing to the table. Yeah. I would reward them for um, however their players are, however the player characters are supposed to find success. So what I mean by that is if you have a lawful good character and the Thieves Guild is trying to get them to do stuff, and they say, hey, you know, in their own words, that isn't really my bag. I don't really think I should be mixing in with thieves. I would reward them in that somebody from the town guard overhears them say that, appreciates it. I'm simplifying it. And so they earn renown with that organization. Yes. You know, it, it kind of, it, in the opposite way that you would think. And to be completely honest, that could happen even outside of the the narrative part of it where someone overheard and thus that renown goes up. Your character made that decision, so the way you will be perceived in the future is going to go up. Just because you have made that character decision and that that uh, choice is going to be translated through um, body language and stuff in that initial contact with this other guild that might be more along your speed. Right, because right. you don't roleplay everything, right? So, so no. there's an, the DM... Um, assumes a way that you carry yourself, assumes a way that you interact with people or how they will view you as you walk into town based on the decisions that you've previously made. Yeah. If if you're joining an Assassin's Guild to uh, practice shooting a bow and arrow really well, you're probably in the wrong guild. If, If you're joining a Thieves Guild to collect and read books, you're probably in the wrong guild. This is, this is something you need to follow, like think through. All right. So I'm interested. We talked about sanity, and we've all seen sanity at the table. You guys both played my campaign that had sanity there. We've all played Call of Cthulhu. None of us have actually played with Renown. If you are listening to this episode and you have played with Renown, please let me know how it went. Is it as bullshit as I think it is? Hit me up at r slash It's a Mimic on Reddit or on Instagram or Facebook, uh, info at It's a Mimic.com. Fuck, make mailbag questions about this shit. Reach out. I'm curious to know what you guys think about these variant rules because they are variants. Some people play with them, but most people don't. And I think there's a reason for that. 
If you agree with us, you could always leave positive reviews, you could share our shit on social media, or you can just tell your friends word of mouth is always really helpful. But let us know how this works for you, if it has worked, or if it has blown up and failed. So following in the line, uh, in the trend of these new variant rules that we've uh, talked about today, um, I get to talk about something that I wasn't up until now aware was a codified variant rule. Yay. Um, I Dick size. Not quite, no. I recently you roll a D8 or D12? I recently had a player come up to me and ask D8. how... <laughs> Sorry, Dan, Sorry. go on. We love you. <laughs> it's a D6 for girth. Yeah. But is it Ooh. circumference or is it like diameter? I fucking hate it. Every single time it comes up in one of my... And it, it does. It, it always comes up, comes up doesn't Every it? single game. Like it you. pisses me off. Yes, Dungeons and Dragons makes me hard, yeah. That's why you're playing the Bard now. It's a fantasy role-playing game. Yeah, it's fantasy and and role-playing. Yeah. And Dungeon Master. Yeah. (laughs) Terry's just my wingman. Yup, yup, yup. Have you met Adam? Um, Anyways. I was going to tell you guys an embarrassing story real quick, but I don't want to bring it back up. No, sorry. No, I can't. Oh, nobody listens to the podcast anyway. It's fine. And if you don't want to tell it on the podcast, we'll just cut it. And we actually will. It doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> you were okay. smart to not believe it's him. Okay. <laughs> That's true. Anyway, so I recently had a player come up to me and ask how her level six arcane trickster rogue could get a message out to members of her family that she hasn't seen in the in literal years in the game. And although I had to spend several minutes trying to wrap my mind around how a fantasy postal service would work, it did bring to mind one of the complications we have in a game with a full cornucopia of races and cultures from everywhere across the multiverse. And no, this isn't about whether dwarf, uh, this isn't about whether a dwarf sounds Scottish or Slavic. This section gets to cover the gamut of variant rules about communication. So let's talk about languages first. Now, I'm not going to go over the long list of over 117 individual languages or variants of those languages that 5e has given us in a one-by-one list. This will take forever. Not going to do it. But, but, we could break, but we could break down probably the biggest group and figure out where we can learn from the design choices. So, humanoid language or human languages. In the player's handbook on page 123, there's a fancy little breakdown of the assumed available languages in 5e. They're divided into standard and exotic languages, and really this divide is based off availability on the material plane. All of those fun abyssals and primordials are exotic and rare, whereas halfling and dwarvish, yes, dwarvish, not dwarven, are standard. Is it elvish then? Uh, I believe it's elvish. And gnomish? This yes. is actually, I want to say something. This is actually, what is it, dwarven you said? Dwarvish. Dwar- this is something that I usually get correct. Elvish and Dwarvish, I say, but I often hear Elven and Dwarven, and it strikes me as incorrect. I, I say mind. Elven and Dwarven. Is that which one did Lord of the Rings give me? Because I think I say it the opposite way. I think it's Elvin and Dwarvish. Oh, it's Elvish in uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, is it El? Uh, isn't it Elfish? Elfish with an yeah, F. No, it, yeah. it's no. Yeah, the Tolkien. Uh, anyway, not the point. I got a question though. This list in the PHP doesn't include things like Leonin. No. Right, so we can use our common sense and say these ones are exotic languages. Uh, yeah, I mean, th- it does include ones like um, gnomish, and gnomes are not as uh, uh, are about as on par with uh, Leonin for uh, population in their respective 
worlds that they're in. What? Really? Right? Gnomes are? Uh, yeah. Gnomes are relatively rare. Yeah, and there aren't a whole lot of Leonin and Theros. Okay, I just wanted to, like, you can use it, your common sense. Yeah. There's also some shit like Hook Horror has a fucking language for some reason. Yes. Which is not available. Stop asking. Uh, how do you land on on Druish? You you mean Druidic? That's funny. She didn't look Druidic. <laughs> no, how do you land on that in Thieves' Cants? Are, are those... You have to be the class to take it. Yeah, those aren't just rules or languages you can pick up, right? No. How, how do you feel about Halfling? What, well, I, I don't mind it at all. Okay, because it's not a, a language you can learn, and it says in the free. Oh, hold on, I don't you know if I'm right on that. Halfling? No, it, it, I would allow that. It, it says right in the lore. I'm trying to remember where I, where I picked this up from. Is that sorry? I totally derailed you, Dan. Um, that they there is a halfling language, but they don't share it with outsiders. It's those th- little bastards. There's a halfling language, and it is treated uh, to the same level of reverence as Druidic is, where you have to kind of belong to the group to do it. Okay. Yeah. Go on, Dan. There's actually multiple forms of halfling as well. One is shared and one is under a different uh, alphabet and a different language. Yeah, yeah. It, it can get complicated. It gets complicated. Yeah. So, um, anyways, our let's talk about our lovely vanilla humans. They get grouped under one singular language, and that is common. Um, in, in fact, most of the races available for gamers right now out of official 5e publications get common as a base language. Simply common. I mean, they might get their racial language on top of that, but pretty much everything except for, I think, Grung as playable races get common. Cool. I'm glad okay. Grung don't. Grung don't. Well, and I mean, however you want to label Kenku. Yeah, I mean, they get mimicry. Yeah. Right? Anyways. Anyways. Um, the variance rule of regional dialects found in Skag on page 112 show that adding regional flair to your humans will bring a lot of flavor to the foreground. These languages are chosen in addition to your standard set of common plus one that humans get in the PHB and have that lovely Forgotten Realms tone to them. In the PHB, under humans are a bunch of different regions you could come from from the Forgotten Realms. These languages are directly pulled from there and you could see kind of what they are from then. So if you are from uh, uh, if you were Chondathan, you would get a certain language, right? Like it's it's yeah, and they're also listed in more depth the regions in Sword Coast Adventures Guide exactly. Too, so yeah, so this is and I quote by the way a free additional language for such individuals end quote. So this is you get your common, your one, and then your regional dialect. When we get into these halfling uh, languages. I would assume it's more along this regional dialect way, right? And that's kind of the kind way same thing with primordial and the way that those work as well. Exactly, right? Like there's Terran, but it's just a dialect of primordial. Yeah, it's like if I'm talking to someone from Scotland, I can almost make out what they're saying. Almost. They need to go really to slow it down. No, Depends on what part of Scotland Yeah, well, I don't that. go to Glasgow, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have some opinions, Terry? <laughs> I've got friends from family from Glasgow. Oh, really? Yeah. Sorry. Uh, anyways, these regional dialects are treated like any other language and even use different alphabets in some places. Lots of fun, fun flavor, and it helps feel part of the world when your Kalashite fighter starts to barter with the roadside merchant in Alzado. Okay? I didn't understand that. Is he speaking in a dialect right now? <laughs> Possibly. Now, Norwegian, I think. Like much of the stuff going on with Skag, there is something left in the ambiguity. These languages are regional, but races like dwarves and elves have dialects as well, right? And if so, how many? 
Do the elves of Evermeet write in a completely different way than the elves of Lethari? Or do the rare Avril share some similarities with the drow, at least linguistically? As you can see, this can spiral out of control fast with, uh, with so much note-keeping, as now every NPC could possibly speak their new dialect or others, so I recommend to DMs to use additional languages, be they spoken or written, carefully, because like tracking ammo, rations, or bug spray, this can add piles of unnecessary paperwork and tracking for a DM. So guys, let's grab the dice. Let's roll. Do you allow additional regional dialects and dialect language in your games? Got a 12. Five. I got a 12. Roll off, Dan. Roll off. This is, we keep doing this. I got a five. I got a oh, two. I'm, I'm going first. All right. Um, uh, yes, um, I do. I, I really like the idea of the player being able to have an additional language. And uh, one of the things that... I've always bitched about when it comes to 5e is how language is currently held, where you get your two languages and it's really hard to get another one. Um, I'm used to 3.5, or at least I've, I've come yeah. from 3.5, where I could get 14 languages at level one. It's fine, right? So um, this is one of those situations where I would bleed a little bit and actually have my character's intelligence score give me a certain amount of additional languages or dialects. I, I'm gonna import. I'm gonna do you one better on it. Include the background. If they're a far traveler, for example, mm. fuck yeah, more language. Yeah, yeah that's right? true. If you're a hermit, no, you barely know common. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I think I was next. Oh, yeah, um, go ahead. So I'm totally going to include dialects all the time. You actually see me play with languages in in my campaigns semi frequently, where you don't have a common language with NPCs. So it's a lot of miming and trying to figure shit out and i use language barrier all of the time i like doing it and i like even with dialects where you know what they mean but if they're trying to give you a warning you're not quite sure exactly the words they're trying to get Did, when they say there's a force coming what do they mean yeah. what, what is a force what what's another word for that and if your intelligence check is high enough you might be able to learn it or if you've got a good enough history check or if you just have a background or a part of your backstory that says, hey, I spent time with these, um, with people from this region, right? Or or my parents did. So I picked up a handful of things. I can say, Keska um, la fuck. But that's about all I know, right? <laughs> Which I believe is, is what is the seal? <laughs> kind of, yeah. I mean, you're the one who understands French the best here. No, no, Frenching. There's a difference, Dan. We've been over this. French. Uh, Kyle speaks French, but he's not here. No, he... And he does... And I understand angry French woman. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, that, it, it means no bad, get back in your cage. Right? That's that's, it, yeah. that's what she says. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think anybody from Canada who passed 10th grade French can... Almost we do, in understand. Canada, we do that thing where we respond in English. Yeah, because understanding is well, reading's easiest than understanding, but speaking is a fucking nightmare. So well, that and and Quebec French is just so fast, and it's a garbage language. Yeah, or they'll be like, technically, you say it like this, but we just say a completely different word, which isn't related to anything they said at the moment. Yeah, where it actually is like "oué le truck." Yeah, and I'm like, that is almost, but neither. Hey, where's the truck? Don't worry, I'm here yeah, all night. No. <laughs> I'm here all night for you, Dan. Terry, would you so run the Americans, I would, where's the truck? 
What did you, would you run additional languages, Terry? I fucking love languages. I do. It's part of the puzzle. I love it. I don't like it when players have too many languages, although as a player, I like to have a lot of languages. Yeah. Um, because, uh, yeah, I love it. I like to make it part of the puzzle. I love everything that Adam was talking about there, where it becomes a real part of the interaction to the point where if you roll like a 13 on like an insight check, I would say you think that something, they're telling you something is going to change, but what they're really saying is put it in my hand, you know, ex make the exchange or something, something like that. Yeah. Using, so I, I am a firm believer that if you have four different dwarves from four different clans on your table, they share Shit's that. It's about to get kinky. They share that. You almost made Terry do a spit take. They're called little people. Oh, man. God, my oh, nose is stinging. No, uh, you, they all share that common language of dwarfish, but it can, um, they each have their own dialects as well. Absolutely. Right? Or you put, you put somebody from Glasgow and somebody from Tennessee in the same room and fucking good luck. Like, good luck. Because technically that's Tennessee's the not that thick of an accent. It oh, is no, compared just... to Glasgow. I guess that's true. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And, okay, exactly. and I have to retract. Look, Quebec is not a it's not a garbage language. All of French is a garbage language. <laughs> they call it a romance language, but all you do is sound angry. <laughs> uh, the Germans are far angrier sound. Sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But of, of the romantic languages. German has a certain... I like German. I like it has a je ne sais quoi. Yes. <laughs> je ne sais quoi. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, let's say quoi. Let's <laughs> let's get away from chatting with other NPCs to chatting and parlaying specifically with monsters. Say you're a bard off on your lonesome after a night regaling the tavern of your party's daring dues, and gasp! A group of goblins jumps out from an alleyway, committed to taking your skull and eating your nose. Well, you couldn't possibly take on these ochre opponents in a brawl, so you do the sensible thing and try to talk them out of it. Well, the DMG gives us a breakdown on how to parlay and resolve social interactions. You, Your interactee starts with one of the three uh, attitudes. They're either friendly, indifferent, or hostile. A friendly creature wants to help the interactor succeed in their goals, but at no risk to themselves. Only convincing a friendly creature to do something risky will require a charisma check of some kind in the standard rules. Indifferent creatures can take your precious PC either way. But indifferent doesn't necessarily mean standoffish or disinterested. Just that your player's goals don't affect the creature much in either way, and they couldn't really give a crap. If you want to get an indifferent creature to do anything, be it risky or no, you still gotta roll that check. A hostile creature, however, or creatures in your boisterous but soon-to-be-bloody bard's case, wants you to fail, but that doesn't necessarily mean they want to murder you. You need to succeed on several different charisma checks and would likely take an action if combat is active and you really want to put some effort into it to get the hostile creature to do anything. Well, let's say you want to try to make that hostile gobbo friendly. Well, again, with the DMG, you can typically only change a creature one step in this three-step divide. If hostile, you can't immediately become friendly and vice versa, even temporarily. However, pulling on the gobbo's goals or ideals is a surefire way to help the process. And an indifferent goblin is better than the one that wants to see what color red your pancreas is. I didn't know where he was going with that. What color red your pancreas is. Oh, yeah. like, man, man. Yeah, you're welcome. But say you don't know what the uh, creature's bonds, ideals, and goals are. Well, this is the actual use of insight in 5e. It's not detect lies. 
It's more of a social skill to figure out what biases, desires, and or dreams your character can detect to use in their favor during a social encounter. A creature, uh, sorry, an insight will be used to determine what organization a character is from, or if they're favoring a leg and a limp, or if they have a particular distrust that you can then exploit. If you fail that insight by 10 or more with the DC set in the moment by the DM, you can also pick up false information about that character. I love doing that. Yeah, yeah. I love that too. Friends, insight isn't detect lies. Yeah, it's certainly not. Okay, stop treating it like it is. Assuming you want to move on finally to the social check, there's a fancy chart. Hey, Mr. Goblin and friends, I see that by your ragged clothes, gaunt appearances, and wild, tired eyes, that you're probably just excessively hungry. How about instead of counting how many beats my heart makes once it's free of my chest, we instead go out for steak. Extra rare, of course. Roll a persuasion check. How does your DM come up with the DC? Well, there's a handy little chart, but because of the concept of bounded accuracy, we can assume that it'll probably take a DC of 15 to 20 to get the goblins to sheath their daggers and go skipping down the road with you to the butchers. Fair. Okay. Is, is all of this codified in Tasha's? All of this is codified in the DMG. Okay. Okay. I'm just going over how this works in the DMG. Right sure. Now. All right. Okay. Now, your party can help with an aid, which will require them to dictate a task, and the DM will say whether or not they want to give that perspective interactor advantage. Or, if they'd rather step in and try to persuade as well, they can, but there's no real hard rules on multiple checks at the same time, so each check would just be an individual uh, check. So otherwise, why not just aid? Well, yeah. finally, Tashis has given us a separate option with how to handle dealing with your monsters in a social encounter. Flip over to your sidekicks, turn the page to the next one, and you'll see an option to parlay with monsters. Tasha offers a patented quip, which is, why fight if a lovely chat is possible? If things get out of hand, just show yourself out with a dimension door. That was her lovely little quip. I mean, Thanks, Tasha. Yeah, sure. yeah. This gives us a lovely series of charts to help us with the ideas on how to handle that lovely insight. Or, in previous editions, gather in our... At previous editions, gather information check to aid a social encounter. Firstly, as most monsters may not be humanoid, each creature kind of has a different skill that you can use as a research, aka your insight for them. Once you hit that 10 plus the CR of that creature DC for insight or whatever that skill is, you can then move over to that monster's list to see what the desires really are. Now, Tasha's breaks down the monster types and then you could go from there over into their types to figure out what that monster needs. Oh, you mean in different tables? In different tables, yeah. So, like, um, instead of insight for an aberration, you'd use arcana. Celestial, you'll probably use religion, religion or yeah, arcana. Yeah. Um, uh, if you're going to use giant, it's probably a history check, not an insight. Yeah. Right? To kind of find out this level of information. And there's a full list. Beasts. You could use animal handling, nature, nature or yeah. survival to yeah. figure out their... Sure, it makes sense. Okay. So, guys, let's go down this list. I, I They've given us a lot of really fun options for these. So, um, I want you, you two to roll a d20. Okay. 17. 7. All right. So, Terry. Yeah. Um, roll me a d4 for elementals. Fine, I'll give you the d4. Oh, this is my favorite color. Ah, four. A four. Thanks, Bluey. Um, 
the best way to interact with the social encounter with this elemental that you've encountered is by performing a dance from the elemental's home plane. Okay. Right? So now by performing that dance, you could then engage with that social encounter, maybe get it to calm down. Adam, uh, roll me a d4 for oozes. For oozes? Hold on. A one. one. A one. Um, producing a vial of putrid liquids for them. Hold on, I can do that. <laughs> not not now. Not Pick now. a hole, Dan. Uh Terry, <laughs> let's let's run with Celestials. Sure. For you. Roll a D4. Yeah. Two. Two. You can make an oath to do two uh to do three charitable deeds before dawn to in order to this, get the uh Celestial out of character for me. Right? Um Adam, let's roll one more. Let's go with Faye. Seven. Uh, that's a four. Where you would recite a sublime poem to the Fae, made up on the spot, I assume. Clearly. How many yeah. sublime songs do you know? <laughs> I don't practice Santeria. <laughs> Anyways, um, this is one of clearly one of those variant rules which fills in some of the ambiguity that we've been dealing with for, for the past few years of 5e. And to be honest, I can't think of a downside of these charts. I may have some of these prepped for a more story-driven monster interaction, but if you have a random encounter, uh, sorry, if you random encounter your way across a Zorn, I'm using this chart to figure out what that Zorn wants. It depends on the intelligence of it, though. I'm not sure I'm going to do this for wolves. Right. Uh, I might, depending on the type of wolf or where we're at. Or right? how many times we've randomly rolled wolves on the random encounter table up yeah. until this point. But for the most part, and also I think beasts... I can do that on the fly. I know what a hawk wants as opposed to a wolf, as opposed to a rabbit, right? I may not instinctively know that for a blink dog versus a displacer beast. We know, being in Canada, when beasts are threatening, when they're angry, yeah. false charges, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. The real benefit of this is that you can use it before you even go into that combat to determine if you could bring that item with you to influence. Like, if you know you're going to be coming across some aberrations... Coming up with, you know, a weird thing that this aberration wants to the very beginning of the fight, this research rule will allow you to get there. Yeah. Okay? So, guys, let's grab the dice. Let's roll. Let's see if we will allow um, this variant rule in your game. I know. That. I got a 10. <laughs> 10. Oh, we got to re-roll, Terry. You're just tying everything. Yeah. We got a 17. Yeah, so for a roll. 16. My, I mean, yeah, why wouldn't I? Why, yeah. why would I not include this? You want to know? Um, the only downside to this is that it's D4 and not D12 tables. Yeah. I just want more options. You like a good random table. I you? love my random I tables. I like your random tables, but yeah. often not my own. Um, uh, look, it's a great place to start. I think that some warrant these tables more than others. Fey, uh, anything considered an outsider, which is not a term we use anymore in 5th edition, but that means um, celestials, fiends, and anything from the outer planes, really. Any any planar creatures, yeah. technically. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. But I don't need to do this for a gibbering mouther. I'm not sure I'm even going to use it for the ooze or the plants. What does the plant want? Fuck, man. If I can't and come up sunlight. with that off the top of my head in 10 seconds or less as a DM, maybe I need to spend more time prepping. Just... I don't like dead air when it comes to the game. I don't like the, let me just flip through. Let me find the plant table. I like a, a load of guns loaded, ready to go. Okay, what are we doing? Okay, yeah, I know how to do Faye. Boom, let's go. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. It's, but the only thing is, is it kind of hard to have the loaded guns when you are 
trying your hardest not to railroad the party. Right. Right? And, and like, there, there comes... No, no, no. The, you simply do what Adam does and prep an entire world, spending 20 hours a day for eight months every day until you have enough of an idea that you can just wing it on a fly. Or, if you're not a crazy person, just try to use these lists to give you some inspiration into what these kind of creatures would want, and that will help you be able to... In the moment, come up with a good thing. Right? Yeah, just just focus on a few things. Bring it, in, and this for me is a general rule in D anD. d But it applies here: is don't don't get so wrapped up in all of these tables and all of these things. Okay, just what, as you are building that encounter, one or two things that you know you're going to steer back to all the time will be the focal point. Because when there's too much going on, it's confusing for the players as well. Yeah, I think honestly, I just want devils, fey. And angels really to have this like uh, expanded list, expanded table. The rest of them don't need it. I don't know. Some of your intelligent aberrations, your your uh, yeah, okay, your maybe, dragons. Maybe aberrations. No, dragons have a whole fucking book, right? <laughs> like all of their shit is listed clearly in Fizzbands. We not only know what they want; they gave us lists. They gave us tables for what their goals are per age of the dragon of the ninety kinds of dragons and. Dragons are taken care of. I just want that same treatment given to fey, fiends, and celestials, I guess. Okay. Right? So, I mean, outsiders, sure. Yeah. Mind flayers, great. Again, I'm not sure that I need it for... A Zorn. For a Zorn. Just give me more gold to eat. Yeah. Like, it should be in the description. If if I have it on a, on a random table, I should have read up on what it does ahead of time, right? This is good for like uh, legends and kind of folk tales and stuff as well. Yeah, of, of like what the what the the sailors say how you should interact with a exactly. siren or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Also, it's a really good um, if you've never gone to the Feywild before and you're excited as a DM. This is a good thing to think about. You get four cool examples to start you off. Yeah. yeah. Right. But I, oh, yeah, something expand. quirky like you can't ever look them in the eyes. So the player characters constantly have to have their eyes down. So please don't look me in the eye. Everybody look at the floor. Yeah. Well, anyways, let's break away from languages to talk about loyalty. Seeing the sidekick's page in Tasha's made me really want to dive into it. So strap on. Uh, nope. So strap what am I strapping in. on? Nope. So Got strap on. in because 5e loyalty is a full third of a page long. Found in page 93 in your of your DMG. Uh, seriously, as an aside, guys, read your DMGs. In previous episodes of the podcast, I've said it's fairly unimportant, but there are so many hidden gems in it, and I think Will the DMG, there. Yeah. yeah, right. I've owned a DMG for years, and I've never like looked through it properly. The people use it for the magic items, and, and then that's it. And not renowned. <laughs> Didn't even know it was in there. Yeah. Well, you will see in your DMG that there is a rule that can that you can use to see how far an NPC party member will go to aid, defend, or fight for a member of your party even if they don't particularly like that individual. Loyalty adds a loyalty score from 0 to 20, much like your base 6 ability scores, but this is for your NPCs. The NPC's max loyalty can equal up to, but not over, the max charisma score of the adventurer with the highest charisma score in the party. Okay, so if the bard has a 17, that's the your highest max loyalty you could go as a 17. If the bard dies... And he is replaced by a artificer, artificer, yeah. or your entire group is 
uh, of seven, sorry, or you're playing an entire group of barbarians who have the social graces of a 13-year-old Dan at a high school dance. Oh, shit. Right? That was a special kind of sweaty. You're not going to have any loyal NPCs if that's that's who you're playing. But, um, skipped around. Much like Dan at a high school dance. No, I didn't move. I, I stood in a corner and went, why the fuck am I here? Hold on, hold on. They can't see me if I pull my fedora down real far. Hey! Oh, don't. No, you didn't. Dad, Dad, just don't talk to me about fedoras. I wore a zoot no, suit that I made myself to my high school graduation dinner. Okay, okay, okay. Just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I, I it is do. amazing you're married. I want you to understand that. Uh, uh, no, it's not because I have a bunch of other qualities. Massive qualities. Anyways, so an NPC's... Uh, score is a is secret a little task for... What? Is one of them lying? No. False bravado? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're just really good at manly stuff, though, from your carpentry background. I almost had to get you to hang my TV for me. Honestly, I, I'm pretty sure it was the fact that I play music. Really? That's... that's Yeah. Music that got me married. Word. Yeah. That's not what she meant by pluck your G-string. Anyways, so next, an NPC's score, their loyalty score, is a secret little task <laughs> for you as a DM to take care of. This is a hi- this is hidden from your players, but affected directly by your players. An NPC's loyalty will increase by one d four if that players uh, if the players achieve a goal tied to that NPC's bond. Fuck off! It's maximum two for renown, but it's one d four for. I'm pissed. Yeah. Again. If that NPC is is treated especially well, or if they are rescued by the party, they could also roll to increase their loyalty. An NPC's loyalty will decrease by 1d4 if a a party member uh, engages in an activity outside of its alignment, bond, or ideals, or by 2d4 if that NPC is abused, misled, or endangered by other party members uh, for capricious or selfish reasons. If an definitely NPC, in every game ever yeah. played ever. Yeah. If an NPC hits a zero loyalty, they'll likely part ways from the party in a variety of delicious ways. But if an NPC has a loyalty of over 10, they will actively risk their life or limb to aid the party and its members. Okay? 10? If it's over 10, they will risk their life. And it's life. 1d4. Jeez, it doesn't take much to impress commoners, hey? No. no. Now... I run fairly NPC-heavy campaigns, and I know both of you do as well. I've never used an NPC. That's a lie. You've shown me spreadsheets. Now, there's always a lot of spinning plates with plots and secrets and hidden connections with my NPCs. And even though I want to, I tend to shy away from anything that's going to have me... Sorry. Do prep? Is this where you're going? And even though I, I tend to shy away from anything that's going to have me uh, do additional paperwork or even uh, start a spreadsheet... I like loyalty. It helps me know which pirate on the ship will sell the party out the moment they hit shore or which will stand up for them in a bar brawl. So, guys, let's grab our dice and roll. Do you use a loyalty mechanic in your game? 19. 14. 16. Nice. Uh, No. I use the the idea of loyalty, but again, it's overcomplicating it for me. Okay, I've got enough to think about. Okay. This math is overcomplicating it, but I will take all of the outcomes of this and I will simplify it. Yep, me too. If if I if I can be honest, I will role play and listen, and that will get me further than this loyalty mechanic. Yeah. I I I would Three. use the loyalty mechanic in conjunction with sidekicks. Right in conjunct. If if I have a 
NPC that's a little bit more special, more active with the party. I no way because that one d four is too swingy for a sidekick. I I don't know. Right, it's like three three shit rolls. Yeah, you know? and and your sidekick who's been with you for the last twenty. 25 sessions that everyone has loved that they have spent their gold on to equip is going to be like, no, fuck off. I'm out. Like that's a pretty harsh. I think one D four up uh, one down at a time. You it know? does say they're not necessarily going to leave the party. They might stick around for a little while. There's just the potentiality, but of it. there's just the potentiality of it. Yeah. You die a little inside. Every it's time you I know it's it. correct as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm being mocked yes, for though. being right. <laughs> I Anyways, if you didn't prove it, I would never have thought he was correct. He didn't even really prove it. He, he still used it improperly. I'll I used it properly. S- well, we'll talk about this I'll after. speak to the council and have it removed from the Oxford Dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, other than the word potentiality, what is your least favorite variant rule or word that we've discussed in this episode? Should we all say renown at the same time? Yeah, one, two, three. Renown! renown. Fuck. It's, it's fucking stupid. <laughs> uh, God, there's so... Look, I love it in Ravnica. And yeah. it is almost great. It's it's the extra math for no reason. Same problem with loyalty, right? It's the extra math for no reason. The arbitrary shit to it. And then the lack of downtime. I mean, this is another... Loyalty could use some, some downtime thing. If the bard is sitting there playing the freaking loot around the campfire, the eight-year-old girl NPC should be able to become more loyal. That's not in there. Like, we should have something like that. So that's... uh, I I don't know. Stop stop codifying role-playing. Just role-play. That's my answer. I think it's, it's it's an effort to make things accessible, I think. It's like, look. Look at what you can do. Look at what you can use. And here's a system to do it. Now, this system is unfortunately very complicated, and you'll never use it, but there you go. So for me, I just take it as permission and expectations of things that you can include and i'll figure it out i i disagree with your stop trying to codify role playing i think having some sort of uh codification to it to um have a rank amongst your uh npcs or be able to work that political uh line is is good these are insufficient and i agree with you that these are insufficient but i would like to see some sort of code It's it's more impactful if you get a promotion to sergeant because you did something badass in a battle than if because you finally got your renown score to 10. Right, but it is Come more on. it is more realistic that you got promoted because you got your renown score. Yeah, to but 10. I and usually I would agree with you, Dan. But what if and you know what? I'm always the one saying I like realism in the game, but that's not what their players are going to appreciate. They're going to appreciate that reward from the badass thing. Oh yeah, and not and the for, badass thing really want to get the reward. Yeah, they don't really. What they want is the reward, not the hours of bullshit. That's yeah. not really what they want. That's why I say milestones is still the better answer for fifth edition. I'm sure that there's something like this in Pathfinder, and I'm sure it works way better because that game is math. It is spreadsheets and charts and graphs. And that's cool, so add more math to it. Hey, guess what? You just made more game. But that's not what 5th Ed is, right? 5th Ed is role-playing, a little bit of exploration. We pretend it's about balancing combat encounters, but it's really about having fun with your friends and telling a story. Mm -hmm. right? That's the direction 5th Edition has gone in. I'm so curious to see what 
5.5 or 6 edition, whatever the next thing in a couple years is going to be. I'm so excited to find out if they just give up on math altogether. If they just hand out marbles. Everybody just, <laughs> just hey, it's your turn to speak. Roll a marble and then do what you want. You don't even need the marble. Yeah. Or if they you just... need these branded marbles. Or they just get rid of the whole thing altogether and they just give you a calculator and say, and go. If you can do the math quickly enough, then you win the battle, right? And it could go either way, right? They're really at a crossroads. I'm curious. I don't want the next edition because this will be the first time that I'll have to buy all of the books again. And I know you guys have already been through all of this with the other yeah, editions. Yeah, at this point we're old hats at it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just, I like, I don't even have money anymore. I just, I just, I just make other people beg for money in yeah. commercials for us. So, <laughs> so that's all for this discussion on these variant rules for D&D 5e. We've got a lot more Dungeon Master insights, so please check back regularly to see what other inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Next week, we'll be digging into more updates and new details on dragons from Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons. Thanks for listening to another episode of the It's Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsmimic.com, as well as a store for some awesome merch. We also rely on word of mouth to get news of the podcast out there to the community. So please pass the word to everyone you know that we're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to the It's Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Thank you for listening to another It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, shoutouts, requests, and mailbag questions can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. If you could have mental fortitude, fame and respect, or better communication skills, which one would you have? I need better listening skills, because what were the options? <laughs> mental fortitude, fame and respect, mm. or better communication skills. So one of the three. One of the three we talked about today, yeah. Which, which one in your personal life would you rather have? Grab your dice, gentlemen. Okay, let's go. You got four. I got a nat one. I got a one and a four, so I'm going first. I'm great at communicating, and I have strong mental fortitude. So fame and respect would be good. <laughs> well, you'll get one of those things, probably. Yeah, but, but only the one. Only the one. Yeah, I can either I can either languish in obscurity and be well-respected by my upstairs landlord <laughs> or be famous and a disgrace which is I, yeah i'm trying yeah. i'm really trying with this podcast that's true um for me um i could i couldn't care less about fame and i think i have fairly decent communication skills although i am severely crippled by social anxiety um that would be the opposite then wouldn't it <laughs> uh, i i fake it really well okay. uh it's and the mental, also is communication skills. It it it's the mental fortitude, man. Mm-hmm. Like I, I am Adam. Oh, every single time he sees me, is like, you're looking a little bit more haggard. It's never in the positive direction. <laughs> it's always just a little bit worse every single time. Mm-hmm. It, in five years, you're gonna look like the homeless guy from Home Alone. That I, is the direction we are heading. Yeah. Oh, I that that if he wasn't homeless, he was just lived next door. I, was he not? Oh no, he just shoveled. Yeah, so he just shovels. Yeah. He's just an old guy that shoveled snow that looked terrifying. Yeah, like and Dan actually. If if yeah. I'm if if that takes five years, if I look that good in five years, well, in, ten, in ten years you're gonna be the pigeon lady from Home Alone too. Okay, so there we go. Terry, she uh, was homeless. I think, sorry, houseless. Home is a state of being. Sure. <laughs> uh, I've always relied on like, communications, like business communications and stuff, in like all of like my careers and positions and things, and so that's definitely my strength. 
I am so British that I can't stand any type of fame or respect. Like, I will downplay everything in my life. That's, will, that's very convenient but, for but me, Terry. I don't like attention that I can't control. But is mental illness a thing to someone who is British? Because every single British person I've ever met just, like, takes that mental illness and just buries it deep Who down. mentioned mental illness? Well, or The mental opposite fortitude. of mental fortitude. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, I would like m- mental fortitude. Okay. Yeah, I would. Um, but but just, I rely is that just a stiff upper lip. Uh, well, I rely too much on just general, just grit and just fucking get through. And so I, yeah, stiff upper lip. And, but no, I think it comes from my earlier part of my career was I was a soldier, so it was just grit, get through it, deal with it, tunnel vision, go, embrace the suck, embrace yeah. the, the suck, you'll be okay. And then you get to thirty four and shit starts hurting, and you're like, God damn, I'm so sick of embracing the suck. <laughs> so, <laughs> So the mental, suck just mental fortitude, so I can rely on something else other than charisma and grit. Um, this is episode one seventy six. Don't touch the microphone, Terry, or I will cut your hands off, feed them to you. I was did technical you. reiki. I'm really proud of us for not jumping on the suck. It just keeps on sucking. Lose a couple. Lose a couple. Yeah, you yeah. said. I'm just wondering what a gritty suck is like. <laughs> They're like pop rocks, herpes. Yeah, oh, that's God. a gritty suck. Fucking guys. Um, Still proud of Stan? No. <laughs> Never. Thanks for listening. Bye.